Sometimes when it's a delicious feast of, deli- of, of ice cream, sprinkling some member berries on top just enhances the flavor here on Viger, please. A, a, a lovely uh, cruising altitude trip thing. I don't know exactly how to do this because we're reviewing Picard. My name is Joseph. Sometime in 2018, we had a discussion about Picard, and I believe that I said I didn't want to see... I didn't want to see the bridge crew on the bridge of the Enterprise. Uh, I didn't want to season eight. I was wrong. I'm your co-host, Peter. (laughs) Whatever stupid shit I said was completely incorrect. Here we are, man. Uh, We finished it. We finished Picard season three and not not out of obligation, but out of desire. And we we purposely structured this. It was the first four, the second four, and then the last two. And having now seen the last two, I think you can see why that was my suggestion. Yeah, really great segmenting of that. And it has been a long time since we watched season eight. I want to say it's been three weeks, four weeks since we started. Yeah, it's been a no, month. no, no, since we did the last one. Oh, uh, yeah, I guess it has been a couple of weeks, hasn't it? The uh, work's been real busy. I've had other stuff going on. It's summertime. You know, we're yeah, here yeah. Uh, June 19th. Finally reviewing this. I did uh, episode eight two days ago. I watched, I'm sorry, episode nine two days ago, uh, episode 10 last night. And uh, the last two really stand as almost completely different stories. Uh, That might as well have been its own season that, you know, the, the first segment dealing with the ruse, getting the band back together. Then the final uh, real big conflict point with the changelings. And then we get into nine and ten. And things start out quick, right? Because episode eight ended with uh, Troy joining up with Jack. Uh, The changeling threat, which we had still been kind of led to believe was the primary antagonist in all of this. uh, Had caused real problems for them. But the Titan had gotten rid of all the changelings after a very gruesome takeover. Uh, who, what was that? The the ship that was staring them down. The Shrike. No, no, no. The Federation ship that the uh, Rolaren blew up her shuttle in front of the engine. Oh, yeah. Uh, Lexington. Uh, it had one of those sort of like classic Trek nautical names. I do forget what it was. But, you know, they they took off Shaw's like. You know, who's after us and Rikers like everybody. But at this point, they've escaped. They're out. They got a chance to, like, assess the situation. It's become clear that Jack Crusher is the crux of everything. And Troy, who has now recently come on board, says, hey, by the way, I am a telepath. And when the person writing me gives a shit, I'm actually pretty effective and powerful. So So let's talk. Let's talk about that for a second. This is Picard season three, episode nine, Vox, written by... Stop right there. The choice to use Vox. Listen, Terry Metallus, like, you're good. You know your stuff. But you came from Voyager. You know the the stain. The white, chalky, flaky stain on the name Vox. He was also working on Enterprise. Yes, he, he knows. There is one Vox out there. It's Vox Sola. Yeah. And this does not erase that stain. That would be impossible. It coded the whole cargo hold. <laughs> but Vox was written by uh, Sean Tretta and Kylie 
uh, Rossiter, uh, whoever you two are, you did it, uh, directed by Terry Metalis. And it looks like Sean Tretta is writer, co-executive producer. So he had a, a strong creative hand in this. He also wrote No In Scenario and Disengage were a couple of the episodes that we reviewed last time. And like you said, uh, number number one star, circle it. It's probably the most effective writing of Troy's powers ever in terms of like, she's got skills that now I think I understand. After all these years, like that was a really effective way to tell me why Troy's useful and powerful. Not just the telepathy, but also some pretty good, like guided counseling. Yeah. You know how she combines the two skills to try and go deeper than any other normal counselor. Nice cost synergy. Could. Yeah. That's 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 min maxing your character sheet, you know, mm-hmm. you got a racial benefit and you're going to go ahead and do the class that you can use that statistic for. She did it. What's behind the red door? We're staring at it. It's at the end of the Titan hallway. There's a green, I'm sorry, red burgundy tendrils growing out everywhere. Jack kind of deflects her questioning instead choosing to think about a planet. Uh, that was, you know, a bunch of different flowers, all beautiful, yet all connected. And that's where you really start going, okay, I think I see where this is finally going. And as Troy comes up and opens up the door, uh, she sees something horrific, opens her eyes and goes, uh, hey, great session. I got to go and I'm going to run away and totally don't be freaked out. Like, not her most professional moment. <laughs> you know, all that stuff I said about how we'll do this together and I'm right here and I'm not leaving you. Uh I have to go. Goodbye. All that shit is in the garbage. And why is it in the garbage? Uh, Because Troy saw the alpha level threat. The threat I think he had to know was going to be at the root of the final hurrah of the next generation crew. The villain that it always had. The only villain it could be. And that is the Borg. And it's an important choice for a couple reasons, not just because it's the one that makes just all of the sense in terms of the story. Like who else could be seen as their biggest villain, the, the, the most dire threat to the Federation, but the Borg, the only species that's ever come close to actually destroying them aside from, oh yeah, the Dominion that were already involved. But this also basically hard resets everything that happened in Picard previously. Don't worry your head about it, Peter, but Terry Metalis is sending a message, and that message is the people who came before me were fucked up, and we're just going to ignore everything they did. Because that season had a lot to do with the Borg, and they literally just say it doesn't happen. Yeah, so they go, uh, no one heard from the Borg in over a decade, and now this. <clears throat> and I'm like, um... <laughs> Wait a second. I... What? I recall, I recall that is incorrect. <laughs> So I don't want to go too deep on the Borg here, but there's stuff going on. I genuinely thought that the Borg were a strong point, perhaps the strongest point out of the first season. So for all the gripes or all of the things that you could potentially erase from season one of Picard, undoing the progress made on the Borg is not my favorite choice. I will say this. It only erases season two, not season one, because the season one, that cube got interdicted by the Romulans at some unknown point. That cube where all of those ex-Borb were being deprogrammed 
was severed from the collective by the stupid Tao Tao Shiar Shiar super duper power. And therefore, everything that developed there is not reversed. This is reversing season two, which was all about the Borg. They had a current encounter with the Borg. Allison Pill turns into the queen, doesn't she? But the Borg are good now. And they're from like a, it's dumb. And Metallus is just saying, you're right. I can't fix any of that. I'm just going to act like none of that shit happened. Literally, like, obviously, spoiler alert, at the very end of this, Q even shows up who died. And it gets mentioned that he died. And they just hand wave it with one line. And it's like, okay, we're moving on then. Um, you know, funny thing about saying your boss is stupid. Um, not a good way to get that next show you want. Yeah, like now that I've seen where they end and how strong and how much steam they had. And now that uh, Paramount has foolishly renewed Kurtzman's grip on Trek. Still any announcement about this uh, Titan show? Paramount plus is only show that's ever tracked three times in the top 10 is Picard. It's probably going to get nominated for an Emmy. Like, yeah, but where is that green light on it? Exactly. Still nothing. Why? Mm-hmm. Because Metallus made Trek with a box of scraps and embarrassed his bosses by making it so much better than everything they're spending money on. Yep. You can tell. You can yep. tell that's it. Yep. But hey, you know what? You're going to get that Starfleet Academy uh, shit show going on. There is, a, there is a little bit of a divide. Sorry, I know you're about to go into something else here, but um, Akiva Goldsman is clearly more pro-legacy than Kurtzman. Oh, the same Akiva Goldman. You just motherfucked oh, yeah. up and down the wall. I motherfucked him huge on our little YouTube clip. Don't get me wrong. Turn yourself but... into a uh, a middle aged rage guy meme over. <laughs> but it, I, I enjoy garbage fights, and the idea that Kurtzman is so personally offended because his handprints were all over Picard, and he fucked it up, and then gave it to the guy who happened to be standing there. And then got stunted on. Uh, and that's really the reason why Fuck this is happening. Let's talk about good stuff. Yes. Agreed. So, Which this is, by the way, like unguarded. Yes. So because it's good. Because there's 10 out of 10 moments. There's some silly stuff. There's some weak stuff. And ultimately, it just doesn't fucking matter because it is. I don't want to say ramrodding, but it is uh, a bucket of oil being poured on a slip and slide to bring us to the moment that uh, is is what I'm going to care about. So here's the plot, basically, right? That Picard also, you know, we're undoing certain things from the first two seasons. Very notably keeping Picard as a synth. Which Dodge was a synth, right? Correct. But she was like a super badass Terminator. Yeah, the Picard's body. I mean, it was a dopey ass line of dialogue, but they do say when he comes back so, from 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 being put into the synth body that he has been made to be like the man he is rather than a super one duper for man. One. Yeah. Yeah. Instead of letting him, you know, run up walls and, and flip kick people, he's going to have a hard time getting upstairs also side note on this jack crusher is aware that he's a synth the and i guess when you know when data is everybody's best friend there's a higher uh tolerance or inclusiveness to artificials right yeah but still like nobody at any point ever like 
you're not really Picard. You're like a clone of Picard. And like, granted, you're a clone on our side, but we have dealt with, I don't know what, four or five other one for one exact clones of Picard that we have like killed in various ways. You know, you killed one of them personally. Remember Shinzon? Remember him? (laughs) Right. So like. Forgive us if we hold you at arm's length. Like, I'm sure you think you're Picard, but you're not. You're a robot with some fucking memories. You're not my real dad. You're just a fucking uh, answering machine that's got a really long message on it. So here's the deal. The Borg are out there and the Borg have joined forces with the Changelings because the Federation wrecked both their asses. And they said, hey, go find Picard's real body. Because he has this aromatic syndrome, but forget what you saw in all good things. It's not real aromatic syndrome because guess what it actually is. I I had to assume, Peter, that this plot element tickled you down to the subcockle area like this is p- p- made for you. Tell me. Tell me. What's the what was the grand scheme? What did they do? and did you come when they explained it i absolutely did not so uh attacking you guys head on didn't work and then (laughs) with one cube and rather than just you know getting the other six thousand cubes that we had laying around prior to species 8472 destroying all of them you know, instead of just coming back with two cubes or four cubes, uh, then we decided we were going to go back in time and Terminator, you guys. But then that didn't work. So then we were going to bioengineer a weapon so it would rain AIDS. Later to be copied by <laughs> the fucking Zindi. Right. But that didn't work. So then we're going to custom tailor some some DNA into one person that well, we hold, hold on. It's there's a very important point here that gets brought up when the plan finally gets explained that it's got to, it, it resonates with particularly you and I, because what happened to the Borg? They were chilling. They were doing their thing. There was lots of cubes. They were still a major threat in the galaxy, even if they had a species a four, seven, two problems. And then future Janeway, bioweapon them to get Voyager back. This is a I direct, forgot about that. This is a direct sequel to Endgame. That is why they're fucked. When you see the Borg, they explain this Terry Metallus went into more detail about this that wasn't explained on camera. But they do explain on camera that like the Queen's like after you did this to us and left me on the edge of space with, you know, no ability to assimilate anymore and nothing to do but waste away and die as a consequence. What she's referencing is that when future Janeway came back, that bioweapon, that's what it did to them. And that's what got Voyager home. That real quick, because I'm the. They were at Borg Shanty Town Cyber Nexus One or whatever. Yes, they were at Unimatrix Zero One. And then, did the Queen go after Earth, or did Voyager get in the tube in the 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 transwarp conduit first? So the whole point was that Future Janeway went in the shuttle mm-hmm. with the bioweapon on in her. 
Oh, that's right. She was she Trojan assimilation horse-some. bait. Yeah, Trojan horsesome, and then they started to decay as as Voyager escaped. And what the Queen, played by Alice Krieg, voiced by voiced by. I mean, I also agree. I would also not want to be in that makeup, but she did a great job with the voice. I mean, that was the Borg Queen. I really liked it. What T- Metallus explained in more depth is to say that massive Borg cube is literally the entire remaining collective. It is all the Borg. Like she has cannibalized the entire collective to to pull this caper off because it's the only chance they have. How did this prevent them dying. from assimilating? The the bioweapon blocks their ability to assimilate. They just la- they no longer have the capacity. That's what it did to them. I forget. Did future Janeway develop that in the future and bring it back into the past? Or did she develop it while she was on Voyager? She developed it in the future and brought it back to the past. Maybe I need to rewatch that episode. Well, whatever. Yeah. So anyways, uh, the Borg have teamed up with the Changelings. Who also got bioweaponed by the Federation. So they have the same beef. Yeah. Um, They've got the same tragic backstory. It's yes. a real uh... <laughs> tragic backstory is we, mm-hmm. we we got our shit pushed in by the space <laughs> democracy <laughs> who used chemical weapons. Yep. <laughs> like a bunch of monsters. The Borg and the Changeling are ready to be uh, crew members of uh, Pike's Enterprise. They all have their very dark, tragic backstories. That's true. They'd fit right in. So we are to believe that. The Borg had the foresight that when they abducted Picard and turned him into Locutus, they impregnated him with an altered gene sequence. So out of all the humans that have been assimilated or anything that's been assimilated, they put all their eggs in the one basket of Picard and sent him out. That's not what's happened, though. You're incorrect. Locutus was given the universal receiver uh, gene because the intention was for him to rule with the queen as a king. And to do that, he needed to be able to receive information from the entire, all of the drones the same way she does. That's why he has that. And it's why it's part of his DNA. And he even says in dialogue, that's why I could always hear them even after I was disconnected. And that was, well, let's see. Seven could also do it, but seven also still had implants. So, Again, I still think this is a pretty big ask. And it's also silly that if Picard was legitimately still hearing the Borg, that he would have never followed up in any capacity and been like, hey, I think I'm still like either I'm crazy and I'm PTSD or maybe well, uh, I mean, it's what first contact is, right? Like in first contact, he hears them. He even says, like, I can hear them to his crew as it's mm-hmm. happening. And then uses that information to be like, shoot them here to blow up the cube. Which, again, why would you never follow up on that? Like, I get his crew being like, okay, well, the captain's been through a lot. And, like, he's probably a little crazy. But, you know, what? he won the war. I would still think maybe Picard should have followed up on it. It's a cool explanation why he did still have this seemingly telepathic link. Uh, obviously, it's heavy retconning. It's still within, I would say, the 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 margins for acceptable. Yeah, it fits the available facts in a way that makes sense. So the changelings are charged with getting on to Daedalus, right? No, Daystrom. Daystrom Station. Getting Picard's original body. 
for a purpose. And that purpose kind of falls by the wayside because Jack becomes the real prize. But like, what was the goal to get his? Bu- oh, oh, yeah, because so- he had the code for the receiver. Mm-hmm. And what the accident of chance was, was when he had a kid with Crusher, he hit that gene turned into a universal transmitter in Jack. So after the board queen realized, oh, I can hear that guy broadcasting. That's Picard's son. That's interesting. If I get my hands on that, I could do something with that. What do I do with Picard? Well, if I have his DNA, I can use the transporter to implant that DNA in all of the Starfleet personnel and then use the the transmitter that Picard accidentally created for me in having a child to broadcast a message that assimilates all of these people I put the receiver gene into. As hokey and silly as Jack having this mutated gene that makes him a biomechanical amplifier, uh, having changelings infiltrate Starfleet with the express intent of seeding Picard's DNA segments into the base biological blueprint with which the transporter recreates everybody. Really cool. Absolutely fantastic use of technology in the universe in a way that like you can buy into. Like, again, stupid that Jack can control everybody because of a DNA alternation or alteration like that's. Yeah, that's just, yeah, okay, it happened because of quirky fate. That one is the least explained. But, again, this thing that demolecularizes you and then rebuilds you from what the software says, and it's got built-in viruses. And there's a lot of way we can sit here and say, well, you know, why not just put a, give everybody space aids or something else that's going to kill off Starfleet. Metallus crosses these these dubious hmm. it's silly and there's alternatives but I think he he crosses his T's and he dots his eyes why not just kill Starfleet off because now the Borg are uh, sterile they cannot assimilate new uh, and this is a way to to rebuild the the army, right? They're not looking to kill Starfleet. They're looking to assimilate Starfleet. They can't do it with nanoprobes and uh, metal graphs, but you can zombify people or whatever. So yeah, it allows them to get around the debilitating future virus that Janeway gave them. So now the Borg are in play for real. And uh, Crusher and Picard are like, oh my God, we got to help Jack. And then Troy is like, actually... There's protocols. He's like uh, alpha level threat. That's not your son. That might be the harbinger of death. And we got to take things the right way. So Picard goes in to talk to him. Uh, Jack starts laying on, you know, some sob story. You know, I've spent my life feeling like I didn't fit in the right place and that I wanted greater connections and this and that. Uh, you know, poverty, poverty, bigotry. What, what are some of the other flaws he calls out that like this is the first <laughs> very non-Gene Ronberry things going on here. I've loved that Patrick Stewart's like on another level in this season compared to the rest of his work. He really it manages to play a version of Picard that makes is far more credible 
and uh, of course the key journey he goes on with his character, because we've talked a lot about the plots everybody else has. His is, is accepting that he's a father and trying to nurture this element of himself that he's never had to consider. Um, something that famously his character has avoided and never wanted to develop. He's been a career focused man and doesn't like children. And now he has a grown adult son that he's trying to connect with. And this scene is representing the Starfleet side. Of Not him. only like, a son that he's trying to reconnect with a son who just almost died. Yes. Several times. And like really, you know, go back to that conversation with Riker who did lose his son. Hey, you know, you, you don't, you gotta, you gotta make this count and it's got to count quick. Either he's going to die to these changelings or we're all going to die down in like this, uh, black hole space baby thing. Picard is forced to acknowledge his feelings for Jack and his arm gets twisted behind his back by fate to like act on it and act quickly. So he does a lot of catching up real quick. And it makes it, it, it's a more earned sort of emotion, you know, because this is a more properly reserved version of Picard rather than the over emotional one that we saw previously. And this reserved one does need to be brought out of the shell, does need to kind of be forced to face that Jack's even his son to begin with, even though it's obvious to Riker from the very beginning. And even in this scene, he's going in there to give a Starfleet explanation of what's going to happen. You know, you're going to have to go to this Vulcan monastery. We'll hide you there. Like there's things we have, there's precautions we have to make for everyone else. And Jack's calling him out of like, you keep saying you want to be my father and you want to put me first. And then every single time you're given that opportunity, it's I got to do the greater good thing, which is his beef, right? Because he went to go see Picard and Picard brushed off the idea of family and having children after talking to those cadets, you know, and all of that. Like he's always felt like he doesn't have a place in his father's life. And Picard, while he's, he's just new to all of this, it's not fair that he's being put on the spot emotionally like that. But that's the tension. Yeah. Flip side to that conversation, those Picard coming back and saying, like, listen, uh, I've been around this block, right? I was Lacutus. Yeah. I brought Earth to its knees. I killed thousands of my extended Starfleet family. I almost blew up the D. I got yeah. a lot of fucking blood on my hands. And as much as I love you, I more than anybody else, singularly realize the threat that you are not only to everyone else, but yourself because you're going to be carrying that grief. And basically, it kind of sucks the way this has got to go. But trust me when I tell you it's for the fucking best because this has been persistent baggage that I have carried for 35 years. Yeah, delivered perfect. You know, I don't know if the Borg is the ultimate threat that I would have liked to see as like the final big bad guy. Uh, I agree it makes sense on a lot of levels. But I just feel like, especially in the wake of Voyager, that the Borg have just been used too much. And even within these three seasons of Picard, Borg, 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 for something that they, they beat and they beat well in first contact. Um, it's a lot. And and I have fatigue on it always being the goddamn Borg. And I wonder, especially with Picard, I'm sorry, with uh, Stuart being an executive producer, like, is this a facet of the character that he likes? 
is it something that when he's talking with writers and stuff, he's like, no, I like I like that wounded part of Picard. I think it added a lot of like Shakespearean something that I can draw on. Oh, yeah. And like I think you're totally on something. I, I can you're absolutely right. I can sell this this wound. So I don't care how many times you give it to me every time I can put a little bit more behind it. And that's there's some part of me that I can tap and get this thing going. And please, by all means, give me a reason to draw my Borg. Um, Pathos. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and uh, I, I do. I'm with you. I wish they had not shown up basically since Endgame. It would have been great if this has been the first appearance of the Borg in Picard. You know, it's the first time we've even seen a hint of the Borg since Voyager did the damage they did. And I think that would have made the Queen's state a little bit like it all may would make more sense. Um, but that said, Stewart's performance in a lot of these two episodes is just the final payoff of Picard as a character that I think we've been waiting five years for when we when we did what you talked about, which was talked about the show happening. I went through before this, I listened to our podcast from 2018 after uh, Picard was first announced and you Mm -hmm. and I made our predictions. And I listened to the first episode we did for, you know, takes money to make money. And if you're going to care, I'll care too. I forget where it was exactly that I reached the point where I was like, you know, they're telling the story. It's not about the Enterprise crew. It's about Picard. It's about the state of the world. You know, we think that's the right stupid fucking us. Oh, we think that's the right story to tell. Um, It's very interesting to go back and listen to that early stuff, the enthusiasm that we had about it uh, and our thoughts and predictions on where the world would be and how we had a unwavering trust in Patrick Stewart to do the right thing with this. Clearly, he shit the bed the first two seasons as a creative lead guiding force on it. Thank God Terry Metalis was able to come in, rein him in, and turn him back on so he could project uh, what made Picard special in the first yeah. place. I think you're spot on. Uh, Patrick Stewart always had the capacity to do what we were hoping, which is exactly what we have watched. It just it took someone else who understood how to make that happen. Yes. And then it's like indulging what you want isn't correct because you're an actor, right? Like you draw on the material you're given and maximize it. That's what made you great on the show to begin with is that you took the otherwise unremarkable material and made it remarkable. Well, how about this? Once you let me make the material. And then you, you know, do your thing and you do your thing. And here we are. And you don't have to wear a uniform. And we're also <laughs> not going to put you back in the uh, the board costume. We'll do you that favor, too. Uh, so they've figured out what the plan is here. And at this point, uh, they start catching some material coming in from Frontier Day. And we get some another great cameo as uh, we see Jack leaves. By the way, it's important plot point, right? Jack decides he's just going to go terminate the Borg Queen himself. He's not going to be confined to a Vulcan monastery. He mind controls the two heavies at the door, who are very impressive Starfleet heavies, by the way. Very oh, large yeah, A plus. men. A plus stuntmen. And they show up later. <laughs> and 
uh, goes, takes a shuttlecraft and, and books out and data's like, I can't find him. He's turned off the transponder, whatever he's doing, he's going to do. And that's when they decide like our last option is to go just to earth and warn everybody and just shout like, yo guys, we got fucking problems and just see if they believe us. So frontier day, the thing that they have is basically pulled the entire fleet in. Right. Which seems like a real bad move that you have a galaxy that is consistently on the precipice of one space disaster or another. But you're like, you know what? Bring all these do good hero ships from whatever butthole corners of the galaxy. And everybody needs to come home so we can do some Russian style military pageantry here. Right. (laughs) Is a comet about to hit your planet? Sorry, bros. We have a parade to do. Oh, well, (laughs) did you really need (laughs) these? Uh. Uh, these these virus relief supplies on Mentok Four or any other plot from fourteen seasons of Star Trek, where you know the God. If you weren't here, we would all die. No, we got to go back for a parade. The parade is twofold. One is uh, the christening of the Enterprise F, rolling hot off the production line. I personally don't think the f is a very fetching vessel and i don't think it's necessary that that design is from star trek online Mm -hmm. it is the design of the enterprise f in that game and that is an homage to star trek online to say we see you boys here is your enterprise it's going to come out of the system here here's my homage to star trek online Uh, i'm holding it in my hand i'm putting it right in the trash (laughs) where it belongs Never cared about that fucking game, and that's an ugly design, and I'm glad it gets blown up or whatever the fuck ends up happening. But of interest, who's uh, who's in the big chair there? Uh, that would be Admiral Elizabeth Shelby in the flesh. She gives a great speech about what Frontier Day represents, and that is uh, basically commemorating Archer, the NX-01, and humanity's venture out into the stars forever changing everything. So pretty cool to, you know, premiere the newest version of the F. You're, of course, going to wonder what happened to the E. I'm wondering what happened to the E. I think it would be best served just exactly the way they handled it, which is just something happened. It's potentially embarrassing, and we're not going to mention it again. It was uh, that reference was done specifically to provide fodder to people who do the tie in comics and books to write a story around that that open question, if they so choose. That's what Metalla said, like the whole point wasn't to explain it. It was to let other people use it as creative fodder later on. Love it. Love Shelby yeah. as a admiral at this point. Makes sense that she's an admiral. She had upper management written all over. Shelby came in. And this is just right. Shelby comes in as part of the Starfleet initiative to address the board directly. Yes, she does. She gets hot and heavy on this. A lot of the advanced ship design, sovereigns, Akira's. uh, You know, this is all part of this post Borg encounter, which, of course, pays off for the Dominion War because now Starfleet has pivoted back from this. Wishful thinking, soft exploration vessels to hard edged military vessels. Yes. Uh, And the second part of the Frontier Day assembly is that now Starfleet has a new technology where all of the ships line of sight can basically network for AI controlled war formations. 
what, what exactly is the point here? If the crew dies or if there's a problem that the, the overmind can take over, like, do you have better insight into what's going on here exactly? Uh, I think that the speech says like catastrophic crew loss. So a circumstance in which the, sh- the ship would be operable, but the crew is dead or incapable of operating the vessel. Which uh, happens it, like never on screen. So this really seems like it's, a, it's it's a Dominion War thing, you know, like the idea of like the bridge got blown up, but the rest of the ship still works. So we can just seize control of the whole thing and have it still shoot its phasers, even though everyone on board is dead. I love that it's Riker who always had a bug up his ass about Shelby to say like yeah. basically like, that fucking bitch. For her to spirit <laughs> something that's all the women to be that is, this right now. It's that her. is so specifically Borg like in function. And that was her whole thing. It was to come in and fight the Borg. And instead, she's Borgifying the vessels like a plus zinger there. Also, I do love and this is something else. Some already right, pointed out, but like this shows a real vindication of Riker getting to watch the two women in his life who he hated the most get killed right in front of him. <laughs> Like Roe Ro and Shelby. Both of them get obliterated. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, think about that, too. Like the two women he hated the most. There's still no real like. Bad guys in 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 the main cast and like the main tag, like they're people he didn't agree with, but it's not like these are just straight up evil bitches like. Oh, no. Yeah. Especially Roe. I mean, like that's uh that's that's good. 90s writing i think that they didn't get along there was personality conflicts there but it's not like i'm evil for the sake of evil like his conflict with roe was like you know they literally the moment they didn't remember who they were fucked right like sure. they had chemistry they just she he just didn't like that she didn't want to follow the rules and was getting away with not following the rules because the captain was was sweet on her and he fucking knew it you know <laughs> like that, that was never like villain tension. No, it was like shitty office drama tension. <laughs> yeah, and, and and good at that. So there you've got the entire Starfleet, which is neat to see all the ships there over Earth and like that. Yeah, that Starfleet. There's no major uh, wars lately, and this is us at our full power in a post scarcity society. Sure, you know if we choose to acknowledge the loss of uh, Utopia Planitia, which Mars is still on fire. If we are to believe season one of Picard, right? But correct. Here we are full steam in for all of Federation space. It's just these ships here. It looks like a lot till you spread them out over like thousands of layers, but that's cool. And also it's a real fuck you to the end of season one. Like there's sovereigns. There's uh, yeah, nice, nice, a uh, different kind of ships all over. Very important. Yeah, right? that's a big different part classes, of Star Trek. Different, is, spe- dist- different mission profiles, different uses cool ships in outer space and that's a real slow jerk off I'm like fuck yeah look at all these cool ass ships and they initiate and they get in these formations and it's like all of the ships all borged out basically in front of earth and you're like hmm what could go wrong <laughs> well it's about to go wrong because Jack shows up uh, at the cube uh, the inevitable thing happens where again Ed Spilliers does great with the material he has as Jack and, um, you know, he's he's there to try and kill the queen, but then realizes, of course, he has fallen into the trap that uh, the queen has the capacity to control his actions. 
And in doing so, because again, this flimsy ass belief that a couple lines of DNA, some real fucking Jurassic Park for Jurassic World writing here that, you know, a little bit of DNA and now you're mechanically controlled. Ridiculous, but it's a bridge I'm willing to cross. I love that the Queen's Chambers is a fucking mess. Yes. It the looks whole like things a decaying mess, you know? Yeah. Later on, apart. they get on the ship and they start looking for me just seeing the 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 drones decaying in their alcoves where it's just skulls with shit bolted on that. She's still eating that. She's like eating their biological parts to stay alive. She's cannibalized the collective. Well, you don't even get to see her own existence. You get her from the back and the reveal of the queen is always a big deal in star Trek. And always it's this cliche bullshit where she's high above and then she comes down and her spine wiggles into a body. And then she's a sexy cat lady traipsing around, blowing on people's arm hair and whatnot. Here, you see her, she's elevated. She clearly looks deformed from the back. You don't get to see her face until the front. But this is a kingdom in ruin. Uh, Like I said, Jack figures out that, uh, oh, turns out I can't shoot her after all. And then she seduces him with promises of being happy. And he just kind of chills out while, like, she dock ock impales his brain and jacks him into the Matrix. And uh, we switch back over to finding out that things are not going swell over the, at Frontier Day. Titan shows up. He, he Picard gives his best effort to tell everybody, yo, we're about to get fucked up by the Borg somehow. Um, please listen. And uh, Shelby seems to be entertaining it for a moment. Uh, but then all the communication gets cut. The transmission begins. And sure enough, as we have been explained by the plot, all of the young officers, everyone under age 25, very important specific element laid out within the conspiracy starts to borgify. Uh, we see two young lads on the enterprise F just obliterate <laughs> Shelby on screen before the transmission is ended. Just leave no doubts, right? Get shot in the chest twice. The only just- way you could be more dead is to end up in Voyager sick bay where uh, you are pronounced to be for real dead and then shot out into space. So Lon Suter can never come back again. We see the, crew members of the Titan we've got to know, including the tactical officer, including the comms officer, including uh, Jordy's daughter. Both of them actually turn into Borg, start taking over the ship. Uh, and the surviving crew from the bridge, which is basically just uh, Raffi, Seven of Nine, and Shaw, are like, why didn't we die? Why didn't we get got? Well, it's because we're older. That's probably got something to do with it. And they can when they well, finally because seven and Shaw are older and the Borg refuse to be in terrible actors. So they stay away from Raffi. It's, they, it's like when they don't uh, assimilate uh, the, the Kmart Kazon. Klingons, the Kazon, yeah. like just uh, no, we don't want Turns to out, Raffi. You're three quarters Kazon. <laughs> That's why you're At just least... a big piece of trash. And uh, they reunite with the TNG crew uh, trying to come up with a plan. And the plan becomes, we can't take the ship back. The one guy who got a ship back got it blown up for his trouble. The Excelsior, man. The That's Excelsior. where Elnor was. <laughs> Wait, who? Elnor was, was assigned the Excelsior, and then they blew it up. Who's Elnor? It's, uh, Space Legolas. Oh, really? He joined Starfleet in season two, and he was on the Excelsior specifically. 
I always love the Excelsior. I would have loved to see what the Excelsior looks like in the current iteration. But yeah, the Excelsior, they overthrow the Borgified people. They break formation. And uh, the Starfleet Armada fucking zaps him. And, and there he goes. He's off the board. Not the Excelsior. No. Uh, they go, all right. We found out that there's some sort of like maintenance channel that we can communicate on. And uh, I don't know. It's an interesting analog versus digital moment here it's the young versus the old in terms of uh age in terms of technology in terms it's, of uh, experience and skill communism everybody's been fucking awash in propaganda from social media and yeah, i was gonna say a literal woke mind virus infects the young officers and only the boomer officers who know better can save them Mm-hmm. There's a reason between the lines exactly right there. That's exactly what the plot is. That is the plot. I'm not exaggerating. Yep. That's the wink, wink, nudge. You're like, hey, old money, we see you out there. Uh, they escape on a shuttle, but not before getting confronted in the hallway. And all of a sudden, badass Worf, who has killed everybody and fucked everybody up in every fight, Rafi, who has won every fight, Seven of Nine, who was perhaps the most practiced gun in the west oh and data the the ultimate marksman uh get pinned down in this goofy hallway fight where they just can't overthrow two people standing right out in the fucking open chest high walls it's like gears of war and you know this scene is constructed to do something very 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 specific the show requires exactly the TNG crew to be on the shuttlecraft that Jordy's like, I got a plan. I know where we're taking us that follow me. I figured out what we're going to do. Well, you can't have the not TNG crew on what, what's about to happen. They've got to stick around. They've got to have a B plot. So you have this shitty gunfight breakout so that you can separate the two. But the thing that really gets them to separate, of course, is the most tragic loss of all. And this is that Shaw gets fucking killed by these two jabronis in the hallway. All these head wounds he's taken over these first nine episodes. The man has been bleeding from his from his fucking eyebrows repeatedly. This dude is living Archer's best life. Absolutely. All of season three. He, he wanted to copy the best captain there ever was. And then he meant I have to get hit in the head as often as possible. These hard edges got to make me bleed. But he gets like jacked in the chest by a phaser shot and has his dramatic last gasp to give command to not Commander Hansen, but seven of nine and and dies. I will say Talos has said as clear as a bell. If he gets to do a second show, he's got a way to bring Shaw back. Like he, he died as a consequence of this story, thinking this would be, you know, the only time. This is a one one off, and this was Shaw's popularity and the popularity of of him as the captain is something that he wants to continue. Uh, but for this purpose of the story, it works. He gets got now. Seven's got to lead the rest of the way. Unfucking acceptable. <laughs> this guy who is the only new character of any value that has come out across three fucking seasons of Picard. They have they they knew he was going to turn into a fan favorite, and I think oh, yeah. that's why they front loaded him as such a rotten piece of shit in that first uh, encounter with Picard and Riker at the table, where he's just a complete fucking prick. They give him the biggest, baddest monologue of the season. Sure, but 
you're going to have someone fucking die. Everybody is there. And the fact it is not Raffi. So fucking unforgettable. And, you know, when he dies and it's like, Seven, I see you. You know, you're a person. I recognize you. You're in charge now. Like, this is how to do a great handoff where it's not like, I don't know, some like cringy Mary Sue. Like, oh, you know, I was just a dumb man. And here you're the better. Like, it's a good character having a heartfelt moment with another good character. It doesn't feel like it's like, I now realize we need to have another female captain. Like, it's like, no, man, like this, this all makes sense. He could have been mortally wounded, like, oh, gosh, I'm going to be in a pike chair. Or, you know what? Fuck it. I I'm so I'm sick of getting wounded. You know, I'm sitting this one out for like you could have taken him off the board without killing him. Killing him wasn't necessarily the wrong move. But killing him when Raffi was standing right there and you could have fucking Raffi lost, ex- lo- lost opportunities. Massive fail. F- you could have rid us of that menace forever. Now we know why they didn't because they already Terry Metallus already like tempted fate. He did not touch their relationship between her and seven of nine. He just like barely acknowledged it happened. Like, so just fucking talk about that as little as possible. Right. So as much of a shame as it is that Shaw dies on the floor, none of that matters, man, because Jordy takes him back over what Antalus prime or whatever. Fleet museum. Yeah. Old base stock is that's now the fleet museum says hey listen there's a problem uh you know there's silly iffy plot that all the humans are now connected with the dna which mirrors the fact that all the ships are connected and the borg own everything that's under 25 years of age and we need to go offline we need something analog gosh what could it be could it be one of these dozens of ships circling there we're gonna get in that old constitution class we're going to knock the dust off Voyager with all its sweet Borg shields and all this other good stuff. Nah, fam. I got a surprise. It makes so much sense that Jordy's hot rod in the garage is none other than the USS Enterprise NCC 1701D. It is the D, not a recre- reconstruction of the D. No, that's the actual saucer. That Troy piloted into the surface of Radiant 3. It mentions it, and, and that's like that's actually the one. We had to take it off the planet because of the prime directive. We didn't want someone like wandering across it and like discovering advanced technology. Uh, so I had it towed in here and uh, I found some engines from an old retired galaxy class ship. You know, go the ahead. Syracuse. Syracuse put that on there, and I've been. So by engines, he's since. talking about the star drive because yeah, obviously the, the star drive section, yeah, was destroyed. Where is the computer core in the galaxy class? I don't know. Is That's it? Sa- it's saucer. It's probably section, got multiple it? ones, right? Because it has to be able to operate separated. So it probably has two computer cores. You know, like otherwise you can't operate the ship. God physically damn it! Separated. Don't make me get my fucking red book out. Google, give me a picture. Come on. Uh, Galaxy class cross section. Here we go. All right. Where's that fucking computer core at? (laughs) This website sold. It's got these tiny fucking thumbnails that you can't blow up. Uh... Is there clear evidence either way? 
I think you're right that there has to be at least two cores. Yeah, there's gotta yeah be- I, th- I think just logically makes sense that there's two computer cores. Because here's what I'm saying, and I'm going to go back to it. It's stuff we talked about heavily. I think that the Galaxy, that the Enterprise was sentient. I think it knew it was smart enough to keep it on the DL. I think it had a crush on Jordy. That's why it seduced him with the Leah Brahms holodeck. Obviously. And I think that the brain of the ship is in the saucer. And even though you're putting a different star drive on there, he's right. It's still the D. Uh, <clears throat> the reveal for it. Whatever money Metallus has saved and penny pinched by reason oh, yeah. as many sets as possible. The entire first couple episodes where it's Rafi on Metallus Prime and it's the same fucking alleyway shot over and over and that shit's so bad. And you're like, why is it just the same back alley over and over again? Because all that money had to go to some baller ass fucking CGI. And not just... There is baller ass CGI. The the look of the D and the fact that the surface of the edge of the saucer section is still torched because of the fact it went through the atmosphere on Viridian 3, but that the star drive, because it's from another ship, looks like pristine or at least clean. Like all of those details are there. It just looks good in HD, man. It just looks good. But the money was actually spent to make the bridge. Well, even before we get into the bridge, man, they pull in. They do the fly around this thing. Oh, yeah. And man, my wife's sitting there. Right. And of course, this is where my kids decide to come in and start fucking acting up. So like they ruin my fucking moment. But man, I saw that. I got the tears. I got all choked up. My wife's like. Look at this fan service of fan service. Look, look at, look at all this. Is it working on you? And I'm like, this is for me. <laughs> this is for me. I couldn't tell yeah. you in this moment, a single fucking thing that happened in the previous three seasons up to this point. As far as I'm sh- concerned, this TV show just started right this fucking minute. And I am here for it. And for whatever I said before that, I don't need the old crew coming back on the bridge of the enterprise and doing more star lies. trek stuff just lies i, it's didn't, exactly I was what you wrong mean. yeah i was wrong a hundred times over i saw that this is just gratuitous fan service and it went right into my fucking brain and touched me in ways that made me happy that i couldn't even fucking perceive just showing the outside of it right like look we've got this model we spent a lot of money making this fucking cg model we're going to show it off. It's the ship you love. It's what you've been here for the entire fucking time. And now it is. And I knew this was coming, right? This all has been spoiled. That they're going to be here. Yeah. And it still hits you. Like it's, you can be told the enterprise D comes back, but the way Metallus was able to create this scene is nothing short of perfect to like, yes, here it is. The last, you know what? The crew wasn't actually all together yet. Cause there was one character that hadn't been resurrected. There was one character that you were missing and Terry Metallus said that as much as like, you have to bring the enterprise D back. It is the heart of the show. It's a character. And that's it is something a we've said on a Voyager is a character. Deep space nine is a character. Enterprise, whatever is a character. Yeah. The NX one is, is a character for enterprise as well. It does. All it has a, a feeling. All its a own. Character. It has yeah. a voice all its own and they walk on the bridge and I've got, half a page of notes ready to go on that specifically that we'll get to. But man, seeing those fucking guys walk on the bridge, turn the lights on that 
slow boot up of all the Elkars panels coming on like modularly. Man, that got me in the fucking feels, dude. Yeah. And imagine being this is the only thing I wish you could have experienced is watch. Imagine being us watching this as it came out. Imagine getting experience that without knowing that's what happens. Yeah, imagine getting to see Luke Skywalker come back and not knowing that was going to happen. Forbidden fruits to me, things yeah. uh, beyond my my. You can, see, you can see why everyone got so hype. You know, like the finale, everyone was vibrating in place, waiting to hit because this is how Episode Nine ended, and it's like it's such a high, right? It's such a high. Uh, they turn it on. If you're gonna fucking <laughs> go and uh, recreate anything from scratch with AI. Majel Barrett's voice. That's the way to do it. Hey, computer. They did not, re- they did not use AI. Uh, those are spliced together lines from they tried to do it in AI and it didn't sound right. So they just spliced together. That's why there's not as much computer voice. They spliced together existing lines from two other episodes to make. Uh, I thought the, it was a perfect amount, man. They, yeah. they say, you know, bring a, you know, reinitiate that. <laughs> Enterprise is like, uh, mommy's back. And by the way, you're captain. And he's like, that's right, mommy. I am the captain. <laughs> <laughs> never wasn't. Yep. I mean, it's the secret. Like, never wasn't. You know, never didn't have it. You know, they all have their moment, you know, Worf, uh, you know, laments the the weapons on the E being better. And Troy has to correct him. Uh, there's a joke about the fact that there's carpet. Uh, the, the It's well lit. It's the Enterprise D. And let us not pass without saying it is a sterling recreation of the set it is absolutely where all of the money went in the production was to actually create this just for you know how it's used here uh they hired okuda to help rebuild it because it just didn't exist it was gone and so turned into the bridge for generations and then it was destroyed in generations so they had to rebuild it from scratch and having the original set designer there to help do so is why it ended up being such a uh, uh, a, a faithful recreation up to and including like stuff that people don't do anymore to get the angles right on on panels and all kinds of stuff. Um, just so it just is the Enterprise D bridge. There's no other way to put it. Uh, Picard, you know, everybody pledges their allegiance to Cart. Picard basically. Uh, Cart felt, I mean, just like. When Riker comes down and says, you know, we're the crew of the USS Enterprise, that's what hit me. That's when I like my emotions went into overdrive was like Picard's like, I, you know, we're about to go do some real fucking dangerous shit. Are you all really willing to do this? And like the way that Frakes comes down and like tells him, like, do you do you remember who we are? Like, we are who you made us to be. We are the crew of this ship. We save the fucking galaxy. That's how we do. We'll figure it out. We are the best who ever did this. Let's go. We got your back, boss. Let's let's finish the job. Right. It's the conference room part two. You know, yeah. this is what we're here for. Um, You got Jordy uh, reprising his role up at the helm. Yet, interestingly, it's Data actually helming, apparently. Uh, I think if there was a miss in this moment, it's that the final, uh, line of dialogue wasn't, you know, Picard saying, let's see what this galaxy class can do, which I'm torn to say, you know, that should either be our episode title or, uh, give me all that D. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> I think we know what it has to be. Uh, but yeah, he gives the command to, you know, everyone assumes their stations. Picard finally assumes the destiny that this season was building him back to, which is he's got to be the man in command of the ship. That is, that is the, the, the thing he was built to be. It is the thing that he is better at doing than anyone else has ever done it. So he's going to take command of the situation in the ship. He even does the Picard maneuver, straightens his shirt after he gets into his command chair and issues the commands to engage at warp to, to return to Earth. And you just the soundtrack of this episode also starts with some real like Mass Effecty synth vibes, very effective, like refreshed, newer sounding Trek music. And it's not a surprise. It kind of has a mass effect vibe to it. But when you get into this part of the episode, it's all classic themes. They finally bring in the next generation theme more and more. And then it crescendos into a, just a big, you know, dun, 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 you're like, we're doing it. The boys are, <laughs> are in the D and they're coming. And they just have the big buildup and it warps away, right? And that's that? cut the episode. You thought the Enterprise was crashed? No, it's back. You thought Data got murdered off? No, it's back. We're ramrodding it all. Tell, yeah. me, tell me we're wrong. Tell me we're wrong. You can't. Uh, I do like that Jordy mentions to Worf, um, I've got drones loading torpedoes in the bay. Um, we, not that you can really count it as canon, the static warp episode where Bev's basically piloting the ship by her, like commanding the ship by herself. We, we know Enterprise is highly automated. Yeah. But I'm wondering, is there a contingent of uh, soon type Android drones staffing the ship at this point off camera? I think the intention is that the ship is largely being commanded as it has in the past, which is just with a skeleton bridge crew. There's really no one else on there. But they I'm saying the I mean, weapons and then I'm, say, I'm just curious, yeah. are drones being used in any capacity post the Mars incident in by season three? Because don't they lift the ban on research? They do. They do. So theoretically, there could be some kind of semi intelligent life that is there, but they leave that question unremarked and unanswered. If. In season one, Picard is seven to eight percent of the character he was previously in the movies right you get into season three and i would say he's about 75 percent of the character you remember from season seven Mm -hmm. and i don't know if it's patrick stewart goes uh okay i've been fine all right i'll do the thing i'll be the guy i don't know if it's that i don't know if it's the backdrop of him sitting in the seat and seeing tactical overhead and having the guys in front of him that completes the picture. I don't know if it's him being on that set and like the old brain remembering, all right, this is how I do the thing. But like it goes right back to a hundred, whatever meek voiceless horse thing we saw in season one that I was just like, listen, man, he's too old. He can't do it. This this character, you know, it's, they waited too long to do it. It's impossible for Patrick Stewart to hit these fucking notes. I was yeah, wrong. We were, we were both wrong. We both said that. And uh, yeah, it turns out he had it in him all along. I think that ass just needed to be in the chair to be like, all right, here's the thing. I'm going to do it. And I think it really worked, though, that for the entire season, he was avoiding this. He was avoiding having to take command. He he was ready to let others 
to serve as an advisor, to serve as a guide, but he wasn't the captain. Yeah, you man, know, jump was, back to Riker on the Titan and like yeah. Picard, like trying to coach him and being like, this is your ship. I, I don't want to be the guy in the chair. That's you. But he's like, this is my fucking boat. It's my chair. Um, yeah. And it's exactly what you said. Like, I didn't I didn't want to do this anymore. Uh, I thought I had moved on. But like there is a gun to the head of humanity and we are going to fucking do this right now. Um, I, I'm curious how the cast took all of this like and you know you'd never know the truth or i don't know i guess you get far enough away from the money event and people start talking more candidly at these conventions like if there was a resignation for people like god i don't want to you know i've tried to distance myself all the years from being this like i never want i didn't want to be back on the bridge i didn't want to be sitting in these chairs i didn't want to be wearing the space suit uh here we are doing it or if like at a certain level these guys really were like all right, it's fun. The band's back together. Let's fucking be, people are eating this shit up. Like, I mean, the way that uh, Frakes described it when he did shuttle pod one, which was when Patrick Stewart decided to come back and do Picard, he invited the TNG crew to dinner at his house and told them personally, I'm doing this without you. I've got this thing I want to do. This is the story I want to tell. I'm not bringing you guys into it. And you deserve to hear that from me. And then everyone accepted it because he was, you know, he's Sir Patrick Stewart. He's a Shakespearean actor. He, you know, he's the he's the star and he's going to get to do what he wants to do. And it was Metallus, obviously, as we've remarked, that convinced him that that was wrong all along. And in fact, like it, and Frake said, I think that Patrick can, he was convinced he had figured that out even well before that because he was brought in in season one, you know, so was. Uh, so was Marina, you know, so was Brent. Like the, that resolve didn't even survive first contact. And, you know, when they, after, after season one was a misfire and season two wasn't looking like it was coming together. This when Metallus had finally was like, you need to go back on this thing. And he agreed. And again, like personally asked everyone to come back. And that's why they agreed. It's Stuart turned to them and said, I was incorrect. You need to be here. We need to do this together. And I think this is justification for all of that having occurred. You ready to talk about uh, the bridge for an hour? <laughs> Let's go, my friend. I mean, what are, what are we but an indulgent pair? I love the bright lights. Yeah. I love that they waited until now to have bright lights. You know, like that they... It made it more special that this D is well is is correctly lit because everything else was too dark. What a rejection of all new Trek seeing everybody in there old as fuck, fat as hell. Brett, I'm looking at you. I'm also acknowledging myself. All right. (laughs) Seeing all these guys under the most harsh fluorescent lights possible. And it looks great. It doesn't look bad. It does. And maybe it's because, you know, I've been watching Orville. Uh, this whole time, which just reinforces you can have a well-lit set that still conveys drama and suspense and all that other stuff, which we already fucking knew because Enterprise, I'm sorry, uh, Next Gen went seven seasons of giving us a bright, well-lit set and so did Voyager. You know, none of, nothing was lost in this dark, brooding, Batcave uh, discovery genre. You don't need it. Uh, I like the bright lights. 
This is also our first look at the bridge in full high def. Yeah. And it looks good. You know, I take that back. It's not even Discovery that started the fucking trend. It was really Generations, right? It's true. Generations had a much lower lighting. Uh, but it's high def. It looks great. I don't know what the original set would look like. There was a junk ball transmission. I put the link for it up on the trauma support group. The one where the fucking uh, True North uh, Sheriff McTaggart or whatever is is up at helm. I think that was Stratagema. Yeah. Uh it looks great. I don't I should have asked my wife like what her impression of the the set looked like if it was hokey or whatever like and that there's so much going on by showing that bridge, right? Think about when in character the galaxy class rolled off the line what we were saying before, what Starfleet embodied at that time. Right. Uh a belief that a luxury cruise liner full of civilians could go out into deep space and be okay. And the optimism and hope that went with it starkly contrasts that with, you know, the Titan and the stuff you're seeing there, like completely different universes almost. Right. Yeah. And it's, it speaks to almost a, a meta commentary about the hope and optimism of the nineties versus the current sort of cynicism of today. Right. Uh, the the D is beloved because it represents that that uh, hope. Yeah, that better that better period. That you have what seven or eight people on the bridge, and that's enough to keep everything under control. All the other bridges since then have like put in as many other stations and, and duty posts and made them like look busy and like uh like the CIC yeah. from Battlestar Galactica. More dynamic on screen. That's like the real reason. Sure, and here's this just chill, carpeted, padded, walled lounge basically right and here at like the darkest hour of the federation it's that uh that icon of the roddenberry uh better tomorrow utopia that is going to be the savior that's going to shrug off the dark times that have fallen on earth directly like real strong stuff if you want to absolutely pick this stuff apart and it doesn't look cheap Either. I think that's a real key element here. It looks good on HD because they took the time to build it correctly. And if you haven't, Peter, I want to recommend like Okuda does a whole walkthrough of like each station. Oh, yeah, man. I'm going to get balls deep on all this. Get stuff. Get, get all get 100 percent of your balls in there again. Um, you know, give me all Very of the D pot. I want the D in me. I want the D on my face as much the D touching my eyeballs as much as possible. Uh, the. The reference by Jordy that you got to go analog, you got to go old school. How crazy it is to think that the crowning achievement, the Starfleet flagship Enterprise D, like could be a dated thing that is considered old, right? Mm-hmm. Um, years and years of seeing the D, and like, oh, this is the coolest spaceship, and like, no, man, this thing's an old fucking piece of shit. At this, not piece of shit, but like, you know, this is this is old. This is retro. And then like kind of the reflection, like, yeah, man, it's been, what, 35 years since that thing premiered back in 87 or whatever. Like this is old stuff in character. It's old stuff uh, in In universe. Yeah. The decision for Jordy to bring the D to the state it ended in season seven and not to its final moments in generations. Right. Generations. It had stairs bringing it down from the command deck, the uh, uh, 
the port and starboard side utility panels were replaced by like duty stations. Yeah, there was like little ramps there where people were standing packs full of IEDs. Yeah. Yeah, we saw them go off too. They were some potent IEDs. There was a chair for wharf like um I think that Jordy would have to look and be like, you know, how did this ship look the majority of the time that I spent time on there, you know, night shifts this and that as I moved up into command like to choose that like this what version of home do I want to make home? Where were the best memories at? Uh, I'm curious how quality that set was in terms of out of character production. Like if you're to take the set from this episode Vox and compare that to where it was on season seven, like in terms of quality build, I'd have to imagine that the, the old TNG set was like more sturdy and built better. What do you think? Well, based on the video of the CUDA, it's actually built to the same specifications. And that's actually a lot of the content. I used to say, how did you recreate this thing? You know, how did like, this is wood, you know, (laughs) this isn't cheap plastic that you make and look like wood on camera. Like it took some, it just took some craft to make it. And it was very expensive. And that is where all of Metallus's budget for the whole season went. Even talked about how like so many reuses in the hallways of prior sets that were barely redressed. So they just didn't have to spend money on anything that they didn't have to, so they could rebuild the thing as faithfully as possible. Cause they also knew that if they did that, they'd use it again. Like this is built. Now Paramount has another enterprise D like it's not the last time you'll see it. You know, that's Metallus's right. thought. Uh, you know, the, the Gene Rodmary conundrum, like, I only have so much money to build stuff like no engineering, no transporter pad, no shuttle bay. Like, you know, they got on the ship through the shuttle bay, right? Or right. they beamed on, but like, it's not until they walk in. They might, you might as well think they just transported directly in the bridge for the member berries to hit them hard. How fucked would it have been if, again, tying back to the fact that everybody's like, oh, yeah, you're Captain Picard. You're not a clone of captain picard or a doppelganger like we have chosen of all the fake captain picards we've encountered it's okay we endorse you as a real human being right Mm -hmm. if like hey like data's our friend and you are a copy of our old friend and you're an assumed type body like we're cool with ai for jordy be like and i got one more surprise for you guys computer initiate security and then like you know i'm tasha yar i'm a hologram i'm here to help Fuck it, let's go. <laughs> Would that have been a, a a bridge too far to cross? If you're going to get the gang back together, get them all back together. I also noticed through uh, this that like for all the call outs for like, you know, you got Ro Laren, you got Shelby. No talk about Barkley, huh? <laughs> Apparently he didn't want to do it. Ooh, look at him old and crotchety. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, there was there was Metallus also said like there his, a lot of his ambition had to be curtailed because it basically take took all of their money to get Michelle Forbes and Tim Russ and everyone else like Tim Russ out there looking for a payday. Well, I mean, he didn't have much. That's sure. just it. Like you just I can see Michelle pay. Forbes being like, no, I want money. <laughs> he, he got a lot of people just to take scale, which is yeah. pretty crazy. And uh, scale you know, today is uh signed headshots at the convention tomorrow, though, man. 
And, you know, that's got to be part of the calculus of everyone who ended up in. This I don't think thing. they're paying taxes on that. Uh, also, those- like Tim Russ has got his eyes directly on doing legacy, right? Like I can be the admiral who, you know, is dispatching yeah. seven of nine to do shit. You know, is there any mention of Janeway at all anywhere other than the uh, recommendation when, you know, they, they make your captain? Uh, their original plan was to have Janeway promote seven, but they could not afford Kate Mulgrew. Uh, so just the mentions and dialogue of her is all they could do. Yeah, Tim Russ money, not Kate Mulgrew money. <laughs> <laughs> she's doing uh, whatever her cartoon is. So, you know, she's yeah, already prodigy. got work. There was a lot of regret to not have given him the capacity to do this, by the way. And what Metallus had to share was like, he used what he had at the time, but there was a lot of, hey, why didn't you call me afterwards when the shit was super hot and everyone was watching it? And it's like, because I didn't have the money. That's why I didn't call you. <laughs> like, Does he name names on that? No, of course not. He's trying to, he's trying to, he's still trying to get this shit done. He probably is because it's just been that well received. Mm-hmm. Like the talk is, is that it's going to happen. It's just a matter of Kurtzman ego slowly getting soothed. Yeah, well, we'll see about that. Uh, I, I, I maintain no hope on this thing. Um, I, literally, though, like whatever this show was, even within season three prior to this point, does not exist. Like in, in this moment, when they bring us out, like this is a great episode. And I think you could have just came in. Th- think if. All that shit was season one. Think if this is where season one started by episode three. I Would mean, there- I, I think actually I will defend the choice that you don't and you you end the series on what you're about to do. You don't begin there. I think that the lost opportunity was just in telling a story of Picard slowly trying to like guide things in the background and helping his former subordinates deal with problems and assisting the next generation of Starfleet officers to come into their own. And then you do have your final, your finale has to be this. Well, yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's the but Metroid. It's special because you spent so much time getting here. It's, it's Metroid too. You know, the D is the final gun that zaps the bad guy one time and kills it. Like, yeah, he's the hyper beam. You can't uh, get, uh, you can't get there right off the bat. Picard saying, you know, get us out of here, flying out of space dock, going off to warp. Perfect. And also, too, with the advanced CGI, and as you're especially going to see in the next episode, the things they do with the D that you have never been able to do before. To ridiculous levels where. Oh, yeah. It's <laughs> pure fan service levels. Oh, oh, my God. I'm like, I'm sorry. Is this a galaxy class? Is this one of the biggest things that humanity has ever created that's mobile? Or is this a fucking TIE fighter? What's going on? <laughs> well, what is that last episode, Peter? Are you ready to talk about it? Uh, we go into what might as well be season three, episode two, <laughs> <laughs> season three, episode about that crusty ass bitch. that got shattered. I just think I was like, what happened to her? I'm like, all right, they blew her out of the fucking airlock. And then she got busted up on an asteroid or whatever. Season three, episode 10, the last generation directed by, or sorry, written by and Terry Mattel and yeah, he's. All Terry wanted the last one to himself. This is written and directed by Terry Metalis. He's like, you know what? I've, I've, I've done the impossible, and I'm going to take the giant thing of Star Trek cocaine, and I'm going to do it in front of everybody. And that's just what's going to happen. I'm going to line and- all this coke up on this D, 
and I'm going <laughs> to run my face right down it. And everybody's going to love watching me put my face on the D as I put the D in your face. The last episode of Picard is just an episode of Next Generation. Well, let's even before we. Yes, <laughs> that's what it is, right? Like the thing you didn't think you want. It's a thing you wanted. So before these episodes start, there's like this Star Trek, you know, the Mandalorian. They show all the different helmets and those. Yeah. Star Trek's got this thing where it's a ship whipping around and then it makes the Starfleet Chevron or whatever. And uh, instantly I'm like, oh, shit, they fucking swapped whatever the ship was before. I had to go back and watch. It had been the the previous, you know, season three. It had been the Titan doing that. And yeah. I noticed when you watch it, uh, the Shriek, Shrike, whatever it was looming off in the distance like the bad guy threat and now it's the fucking d looking tits whipping around and as it crosses over the rainbow bridge or whatever you catch a fucking board cube chilling out in a fucking nebula and you're like oh shit i'm fucking ready man and and we get the last of perhaps the unexpected cameos right off the bat and that is the voice of the current president of the Federation one Anton Chekhov, who is canonically the son of Pavel Chekhov and importantly voiced by the one and only Walter Koenig. And it is a desperate plea on, on emergency transmission that catches up the plot, right? Instead of doing it previously on, they're doing this great which is Her- the right way to do it. Yeah. Enterprise, I'm talking to you. Enterprise. Uh, <laughs> previously Zip, on. The arc previously on. Not 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 feeling those. Uh, this was a, apparently an audible on the cart part of not Terry Metalis solely, but Todd Stashwick, who knows Walter Cohen. And because they apparently live in the same L.A. neighborhood and said, hey, I bet I could get <laughs> I bet I could get him to do this. And they brought in the material, the the recording studio to uh, Going's uh, apartment, and recorded it there. And uh, great, it works, right? Like the idea that the son of a major twenty third century uh, Star Trek hero, you know, wound up a politician and had his own career in life, uh, and is leading the Federation. I buy it. It's named Anton Chekhov as a sort of nod to. The guy who played Chekhov in the JJ reboots, who sadly passed away uh, under the most gruesome of circumstances. Yeah, I got crushed by his own car. Uh, boo! And it catches you up on the plot. Earth is in danger. Soul Station is presently fending off the entire Federation fleet, but it is only a matter of time before it overtakes it. Which and- I don't know if that's like impressive for Soul Station or if it's like. An indictment of the Federation's weaponry. <laughs> like, well, come on, what? I Some real back, plot armor there. The backstory on Soul Station is apparently that the space dock Soul Station apparatus and the planetary shields got more buff because of something that happens in DS9 that I don't want to spoil. There's a, there's a, like a reason that Metallus had in mind for giving like the massive buff to Soul the Station. Metalliverse, is that what we're going to go with here? I, it's Mattel is like understanding the lore, but not wanting to burden the plot with it, which sure. I kind of understand. If Earth falls, we all fall. Why is Earth so important? Obviously, we're building big stakes here. I would say, again, it, oh, 
it's not really Picard season one. I mean, they established this across the board that uh, Romulus goes down. The whole empire falls. Yeah. Basically drags the entire empire with it. So clearly the Federation was not taking notes through all of that. And all of their eggs are in one basket. Although at the same time, uh, when Romulans lost Romulus, they didn't also lose their entire fleet, which would move on to hunt down everybody else. I, I guess that's really it. You know, they're going to take out Earth and then they're going to own Starfleet at the same time. Like they already own Starfleet them? and yeah. they're going to use the full might of a unified Starfleet armada to hammer whatever hasn't been assimilated. That's a dangerous proposition. The D realizes they're on their own and that they're going to have to fix this and doing so means finding wherever this they're, they're useless to try and engage the fleet, right? They're not going to win that battle. So what can we do? And that is, well, let's find where the signal's coming from. And they determine it is occurring at Jupiter, literally within the eye of Jupiter. So they warp there and, you know, it's a classic Trek episode when you have a, basically a, a long teaser that sets up the stakes and, you know, Picard is like, we are ending this tonight. This is how we'll fuck these guys. And they find the giant Borg superstructure within Jupiter. And it is, as we mentioned, it is the remaining collective. It's all that's left of the Borg is there. It's all of the cubes stitched together as the queen cannibalizes what's left. Is it multiple cubes? Yes. You can kind of see it in the construction because it's uneven. Uh, And when it starts blowing apart, you can see the individual cubes Hmm. break off and explode. Maybe I need to go back and rewatch this. Uh, there's a lot of Borg stuff I had not made connections on. That's cool. I would say it's a very Mass Effect scene, seeing this massive yeah. Borg with tons of antenna, like a broadcast. Yeah, it's turned into a broadcast antenna. Jutting out of the clouds of Jupiter and, you know, when enterprise finally arrives, like, you know, there's this again, great looking shot of enterprise and like the tips of these broadcast antennas and then the camera just pans back and you just see like, again, one of the biggest ships ever created in star Trek, a galaxy class, just completely fucking dwarfed in scope. And again, this fantasy art, almost element of like clouds rolling, uh, over the board. Very evocative. Absolutely. I think that'd be a really good, uh, background wallpaper for a computer. I'm going to have to look into getting a screen grab of that. Uh, Meanwhile, over on the Titan, they've regained control. Yeah, we've got a B plot where the the Titan crew, which at this point is all of your boomers that are on the ship, which is the two heavies from security, the doctor, the trill doctor that we have met before. Not very Uh, good at her job, but apparently she's good behind a phaser, so she's got that going for her. She's handy with a gat. She can... (laughs) In the Metallosverse, all medics are combat medics, as we'll find out. Uh, there's, of course, Raffi, who still did not get killed. That should just be Shaw. And it, the MVP of the episode, which is the cook, who's who's just some random alien guy. Who, is that uh, Terry Metallus in no. makeup? No. It's some guy. I looked him up to the actor. He posted the Twitter. I was like, oh, so excited to be in this. <laughs> and uh, 
Yeah, he's like, uh, I, I, I didn't even finish lunar flight training because I had to run my mom's deli. What do you? Are you seriously expecting me to pilot the starship? And Seven's like said, yes, you're a Starfleet officer. Sit down and fly the ship. Do it. We're doing this. This is what you signed up for. You're in space. Get over it. Back over at Jupiter. Um, it's clear that they're going to have to do what Enterprise always has to do. Beam over to the fucking Borg ghost town. <laughs> yeah, born to beam onto the cube and, and do things. Now, and, you know, the stakes are... Here, here's here's the deal, right? Here's the fucking dilemma for Picard. This ain't the morgue, right? It's the Borg. Yeah, it's a boy. This isn't their their ne'er do well, uh, but well intentioned cousins. cousins. <laughs> no, this is this is the bo- the 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 Bravo B for Bravo uppercase Borg, but it is a Borg morgue, as they will find out. That was very clever. I know. Uh, It's like our Han and Leia moment. You're very, that was very clever. I know. Uh, Picard has basically his farewell speech to everybody. And this is like do or die. Uh, We got to finish this off tonight. And Riker, even though your wife's right there looking at me and I know you got kids at home, you can come with me. Which, who was the first away team over there? Would have been Riker led, right? Riker, Data, and Worf probably. So we're not, we're not, quite hitting the same notes here, but uh, it's going to be Worf. It's going to be Riker. It's going to be me. Data's like, hey, I think they really uh, neglect the fact that Data is like the most fucking advanced thing ever in the universe. (laughs) He's like, hey, you should take me. I I know my way around there. I I got all sorts of fucking experience. I got tricks. (laughs) I'm like, uh, what's the highest level on XCOM? Soon type Android. That's I mean, you're one, too, but you're like the shitty, uh, you know, California legit version. I'm I'm fucking not street. I'm legal, a full man. bird colonel. Let's go. Mm-hmm. I can still I, rip people in fucking half. So can Worf. It should be me. He's like, no, I need you over on the ship for, I don't know, plot reasons. Interesting that he picked Jordy to be left in charge. But I mean, Jordy is still a Commodore. So I guess if there's any semblance of Starfleet here and it's not just. Also, the family speeches in this, like we're cresting right up against fucking Fast and Furious. Like it might have been. It's about family. (laughs) It's about family. Just take uh, Vin Diesel and put him in that black jacket with the Admiral pin and he could have pretty much delivered all of Picard's lines verbatim. I do. I do like the choice of putting Jordy in charge because he was a captain of a starship. He's a Commodore now. He's the second highest ranking out of all. He's the reason they even have the fucking D. Yeah, I have the thing. Like, honestly, it should be him who has the con in the circumstance. And it's particularly poignant because it's not something he ever did in the show. Right. Like, Jordy was never a command figure uh, in TNG. And now here at the at the pinnacle, we're going to see a in command Jordy, which is very different. Yeah, and also two. I think Picard has to realize on a certain level that like data lore did almost just completely fuck them all into the dirt. And like, maybe, maybe, maybe he's not fully recovered. I mean, you know what? His technical expertise is specifically why he's left behind. It does not make sense to put him in charge, right? Like, sure. You're going to be focused on doing whatever you need to do to like fuck with what the Borg are up to. Cause you're the smartest thing ever to exist. 
But the man who gives the orders about where to put the fucking ship should probably be Jordy because he understands it better than anyone anyway. He literally I know that we should not keep invoking the first season of Picard, right? I think the first season's okay to invoke. They they you clearly have to yeah they clearly again, use the plot. This hokey not hokey. This fabricated deep paternal feeling that season one told us that Picard had for Data, and it just does not exist in the lightest. Yeah, here because it shouldn't. Should never it should. have existed. Yeah. And the way that Picard and Data interact with each other, specifically the way Picard treats Data, I'm not saying you know he treats him like a fucking doormat or anything, but he's a crew member. It's not like, oh, my child. Yeah. This is the, the way, way you it should have been the whole time. It's the way it was. Uh, it's the way it still is. You know, he's not picking up like, oh, you know, I did spend an entire season tearing the universe apart, trying to find your daughter out of this guilt fueled sadness it's like no man jordy's in charge and you're staying on the ship daddy talked that that's what it is and then troy's all like oh shit will i'm not gonna see you again am i he's like i don't know <laughs> gonna give it a shot here mm-hmm. we're doing dangerous space things we all just didn't say we would do this we're doing it also they don't you know Riker at the end of the last episode walking in like we're the crew of the Enterprise. And Picard's like, you know, I'm hesitant to ask you all for such a great thing. It's like, um, it's Armageddon. Like, yeah. <laughs> if we don't die on whatever your fucking Mass Effect 2 suicide mission is, we're probably going to be hunted down and just fucking nuked from orbit because the 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 Borg Starfleet is just going to obliterate everything and just go full Terminator on us. So. Yeah, obviously we're in on this. <laughs> <laughs> That's a little less inspiring than saying we're the crew of the USS Enterprise. Because Riker has charisma and he's great at public speaking and he knows how to fucking play to a room. It's true. It's definitely not something they made up. It's it's not fiction. Okay, sorry. <laughs> they beam over to the Borg cube. And if there is a attention to detail that gets skipped here, they use the new transporter effect. I think they really should have went with the old school TNG. True. It is a missed missed opportunity for a little visual visual uh, reference, but they get on there. They're, they we already kind of talked about this part. You know, they're discovering that the board cube has uh, been uh, slowly decaying and its Again, residents are not alive. Borg, not morgue. A real testament to how what a shit show Voyager's portrayal of the Borg was. I, again, it's clear that everything's being done here in a budget. But man, they make it fucking work. And I don't know how many angles they film the same little like crusty warehouse they're in to like sell the board. But like there is zero hint of the fucking Qzar laser tag arena that Voyager presented as your average. It uh, feels like a board environment. Yeah. A scary ass haunted house. Hellraiser. And again, all the fucking dudes like laying over in various states of decomposition. No spandex in sight. These these Borg all look great. A plus. Meanwhile, on the Titan, they've come up with a plan that the only way to break line of sight is to vanish from the mind's eye. Oh, yeah. We've got a cloaking device, don't we? Yeah, we hijacked that from uh, from Star Trek four. <laughs> like, literally. So uh, fire that bad boy up, break line of sight. And now we can uh, actually shoot at the fleet. So their plan 
can't do anything except try and help Enterprise do whatever they're going to do. That means distracting these guys long enough because they are putting a beating on on Starbase One. We see we see the fleet taking it to the rim on Starbase One, and it's not going to make it. You know, do you remember it's... at the end of Picard season one when Riker shows up with the same ship a million times over? Yeah, the copy paste fleet. And then it's like, oh, cool. There's going to be a big like you know fleet battle, and you don't get that. You get it here. Yeah. You, you, you ever seen two hundred individual phaser beams at the same time on screen? It's dope. This is what I need the new Stellaris to be. What is Agreed. it? Star Trek? Uh, Star Trek in- uh, Infinity? Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. You'll this. definitely get that. If Stellaris is any guide. I need this. So the, you know, their, their, their plot, the, the B plot here, the Titan plot is pretty minor. Uh, but, you know, it's them giving their best shot at trying to distract the fleet and get them to stop attacking Starbase one and give them something else to shoot at. Um. The Enterprise is just kind of chilling for the moment uh, until they get rocked by some weapons fire from the cube, which is. Well, hold you know. on. I, I want to I go back. Here's the B plot real quick, right? Seven's in charge. We got to distract them. Scan as many ship locations as you can, because we are going to fade out. And it's nice. That they don't like call attention like, oh, this is an old Fenris Ranger trick or whatever. Seven at this point, like, is almost unrecognizable to what she was in Voyager. I don't think it's a bad portrayal of her, but I think she has evolved as a character to the point where she, there, there's no, there's none of the old seven there, right? Her emotions think- are fully manifested. There's doubt, there's fear, but there's a passionate resolve. I think that uh, you're right in that it's it's more there's been more evolution with her. I think her season three portrayal is right because the idea is like, well, 30 years later, seven of nine is not going to be the same robot lady. She was in her twenties. You know, she's in her fifties now. She's been a not robot longer than she was a robot. So she's probably learned to have like real emotions, even if they are occasionally a bit disjointed. And that's what you see here is a seven of nine who is fully, uh, a, has the range of human experience, but is still figuring out because she had a late start, how to navigate it. Maybe they were afraid of stepping on data's toes because data plays the character of, I used to be a perfect robot and now I'm contending with my own emotions and the impact that has on me. And I, I still would have liked to see that of her, like a quick side note to Raffi, like her freaking out a little bit, like, you know, what I wouldn't give to be back in my twenties and have that, that arrogance that everything was going to be fine. And then we like, you know, I'm freaking out. And like, if there was ever a place to correctly use Raffi would have been like, you know, congratulations. You're a real girl now, you know, and you're doing great. You go girl like that, that, that would have been perfect. But again, I think it would have been too close to data and they were trying to tell data's story here. So their plan is to map out cloak, uncloak, light their asses up and hit and fade, right? And it is balls to the wall action. When the Titan finally pulls a stunt and they uncloak flying full impulse and the phasers are going, this episode could have been nothing but this scene of the Titan flying, all of its phasers lit up. All I want to see is the fucking phaser and I want to see the phaser blast moving along that that bank, right? Yeah, that strip, the phaser array. 
that's how the phasers work. They never do it. They're doing it. It's awesome. I love it. You get like three or four good shots of that going on. And I'm like, fuck, yes. Like, just well, that's, you the, think that's, that's the good. If <laughs> you think that's, that's good, <laughs> that's what I, I thought. I was like, this is great. clearly the Enterprise isn't going to engage the mega cube. That's ridiculous. They're getting all the good combat out here with the Titan. The phasers are moving on the strip. This is awesome. Meanwhile, we finally do get to see the Enterprise D throw some heat. So at some point, the cube starts lobbing shots at them and they've got to return fire and blow up the the turrets that are shooting at them. And Crusher is the one that's behind tactical. And Jordy's like, listen, uh, you're going to have to manually target. Like, there's no cheating today. Like, you're going to have to shoot these things. And he's a little trepidatious at the dock and pull it down. But of course, she's lived the harsh life. Well, first you got, <laughs> again, Data on Helm, but she's running out of ops. And uh, for all of Riker is the best pilot and uh, Picard's a great pilot. And, you know, uh, fucking Wesley, which thankfully there's hide nor hair of fucking Will Wheaton anywhere in this episode. <laughs> yeah, he only gets thrown out as like a I fucked up on Wesley, but then I fucked up on Jack by trying not to fuck him up like I fucked up Wesley. Uh, Data starts moving the Enterprise in ways you didn't know. Oh, galaxy. We're not there yet. Because there's the initial strafing run is yeah, just even, on the even outside. That, it's like, wow, look at the fucking Enterprise go. It's like moving up and down between antennas. And it's, wow, look at that. And then, yeah, up there's Crusher, who, you know, we were introduced this season. Like, I'm the doctor who now knows how to use a gun. And she I've, does. You see the Enterprise D throw some fucking heat, man. You see this thing launch some earth shattering phaser volleys. It's dropping torpedoes like mines on the surface of this thing. Like it's it's going, man. It is. Uh, it's it. The old girl's got some fight in her. Like Jordy undersold it. <laughs> she basically unzips her pants and takes her D out and drags it right across Tasha Yar's face and then thrusts it into Worf's eyeball and says, there's always been, what, 16 phaser arrays, I want to say? Yes. And they can shoot at the same time. And also there's two photon torpedo launchers, and they can shoot at the same time. And this is how you fucking do it. It is magic. And again, it's stuff that anybody's ever looked like a tech manual or held them out. Or you're like, look at all these goddamn guns on this thing. Why don't they why don't they shoot at the same time? Because they didn't have the budget or they didn't have half the time they had fucking like ILM guys that are like having phasers shoot out of the Bassard collectors. Like there's no phaser array there. Why is a phaser shooting out of the fucking photon torpedo launcher? Man, she lights up. And at first I was like, man, come the fuck on. And then it, for whatever like humor was off in the first couple episodes, especially with mm-hmm. When they all stop and look back at her like, what? And she's like, it's been a hard 10 years or whatever. It's been a hard 20 years. And you're like, yeah, story checks out. (laughs) And like, this is the best act. I I love the way they treat Crusher this entire time. Like, she's competent. She's coming up with things. She's got hope. She's got a plot. I mean, she gets to act. She doesn't like. She, she's better used here than she was most of her time on TV. That's what I'm saying. She's like, I'm not here yeah. to fuck ghosts. I'm here to fuck people up. <laughs> and it's, you know, so there's this like combat medic part of her. And there's still like this. I'm a crazy good scientist. And I see things other people aren't paying attention to. And I'm saving the day with medicine. And I'm also fucking up board ship with guns. Like that's 
really amazing stuff that Troy and Crusher are both presented in such flattering light consistently through this. Whole yeah, scene. and that's Metallus like having a better touch there. Like, again, why is he doing the show? Because it's Jerry Ryan got him the job, right? Like Jerry Ryan made this happen. Well, I mean, obviously, he's probably like sweet on the female characters a little bit, given that, right? Like, well, let's take this underdeveloped material and these two main casts that never got to like really shine as well as they could have. Especially in the, the movies. Make sure they do. Yeah. And criminally underused Crusher in the movies. I mean, at least Troy had plot in all three of them. But, you know, the. Or four of them, but Crusher never had any plot. Also, Crusher real quick. There. She got a paycheck and left. What Was one of the starships in the Earth Armada. Did I hear the name Pulaski? Get USS Pulaski. You sure did. Nice call out. Yeah, you know, you got to mention her. Like, sure. Had yeah. a Tasha Yar moment. We got to have a Pulaski reference. Um, Over on the board cube, Picard's like, hey, um, I'm here to die, by the way. I got to go save my son. You guys go take the transponder thing. Knock that out. I'm going to go try and uh, diplomacy my kid free. Peace out. And he has uh, a heartfelt farewell to, to Riker. That's probably like his best moment, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, I know you've been my brother. Thank you. You know, it's it's the kind of recognition that's hard for him to make. And he makes it. Worf, strong portrayal there, too. You know, two words Klingons don't know, and it's defeat and it's goodbye. And that's uh, that lack of a moat. It works. Him refusing it, to get sappy. It, it jives with him, like being like, I wish we had the E because E had better guns. Like, I'm not here for the emotional. I'm not here for the emotions. Right. It, it, it's it, it's it's yet at the same time, you know, recognizing his chadich off uh, Picard goes and we finally get the Borg Queen reveal. That is the best of all Borg Queen reveals. And it's, hey, I'm not a sexy torso with a whippy do spine like I am the queen alien in aliens. And it is grotesque. Jack's all borged up. He's looking real slick. You know, looking real like. Robocopy <laughs> looking real Lacutus. I mean, it's it's Lacutus. Riker and Worf find the transponder control mechanism so they can. Their intention is to send that information off to the Enterprise so it can find it within the cube. Um, the, the two remaining only partially zombified Borg wake up at their interference and uh, we get Worf getting one last chance to throw down with some drones uh, he gets shot in the shoulder and they have to uh, take uh, refuge behind the console that they were fucking with. And that's when uh, Riker is like, you know, worse like the sword and Riker tries to lift it. He's oh shit. <laughs> I didn't know it was so heavy. I had no idea. <laughs> I, the, the physical humor there. Perfect. And again, yes. for, for, for however <laughs> Worf had been misused a little bit with like humor and stuff like Frakes there to punch it up. Yeah, I watched that scene three times. I thought it was fucking hilarious. Shit, I didn't know this, which makes sense. You know, I mean, fucking Klingons are super strong. So like, yeah. And then he like pulls the handle out and there's like a glowy thing. And he's like, the fuck is this? So, then you know, Riker pops out behind, pops both the board because they don't have time to get their shields up. (laughs) Fuck. Again, the humor. uh, Riker is like, you got a fucking gun the whole time. And you're so. Swords are fun. 
10 out of 10. That's exactly like, yes, Klingon Warrior would say that. So, what, no, yes, swords are fun. I get to kill my enemies with my hands. I don't just realize. Not, not you know, uh, you know, swords, shields can't adapt to swords. Not like a, a logical, tactical reason. The sword is fun. Yeah. Yep. I did like that also throughout this entire episode, Worf is like kind of giddy that like, I'm going to die here. This is it. I'm going to go to Super Valhalla. Like we have realized some dreams today. <laughs> like Stovacor. Just, yeah. Yeah. Like we're, 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 we're going, we're taking the express boat to Stovacor. <laughs> we die on this mission. Let's go. <laughs> I've been through some crazy shit before, but I mean, this is, this is good. This is a super cube. <laughs> I've been on a lot of Borg cubes before. This is by far the biggest. I've been on a lot of cubes. This is a scary cube. Trust me. (laughs) If there's a cube to die on, it's this cube. When they get the coordinates back on the D, they're despaired because it's like looks impossible to fly the D into where the uh, transmitter array is. Uh, But because it's in the it's a Death Star. It is a Death Death Star Star run. run. It is a Death Star run, and Data makes the fucking D fly like the Millennium Falcon. (laughs) Like, suddenly, as if from nowhere, he's like, I got this. Let's go. And you see a sequence. Well, even before that, everybody's like, jiving inside this fucking cube. A computer couldn't do it. Even my daughter couldn't do it with a computer. How are we ever going to get this? To, to happen and he's like uh excuse me i'm the most fucking perfect thing i'm i'm sitting here in front of the fucking steering wheel and they're like no data you couldn't do it. and he's like <laughs> right in front of me bitch i can do it you got any other options no all right i'm doing it okay so yeah they're talking like hey well maybe you can just take the star drive in because it's a fucking galaxy class this thing is like a size of what manhattan it and is yeah. a it is a big ship, but it just moves like the Millennium Falcon. And I don't care. I don't care. It's awesome. It moves like my hand on this Eagle Moss figure whipping around, spinning around, flying around pipes, shooting, shooting shit. shit. Yeah. Nape shit. They didn't even were like, hey, we're going to have to shoot stuff a long way. Uh, fucking Bev's just back there like, listen, the phaser still got juice and we got a lot of torpedoes to get through. I'm just don't mind me. Maybe I'm going to collapse the cave on our way and we're going to be stuck. That would suck. But damn it, this fire button's looking at me and I'm here to push it. And he successfully does it. He successfully navigates him to the giant green Chloe thing. And we all know what happens when you get to the giant green Chloe thing. He's got to blow it up. But they have the sad realization. And the sad realization is if they blow it up, they're going to blow the whole cube up. They blow the cube up. They're probably going to kill everybody. And they have no contact right now with Picard or Jack. They tell Will and Worf, hey, we're pulling you out. And Will says, no, you're not. I need to go find Jean-Luc. I owe him the the minute I get to to try and, and locate him and, and, and facilitate our escape, uh, if it is at all possible to do. And meanwhile, Picard is having the scene you always expected he'd have to have. He's got to jack him. First, he confronts the queen. He actually tries to shoot the queen. He's not successful. She, queen has shields. And uh, he's 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 pissed. He's angry. There's so much pathos in his, like, yelling at the queen of, like, you, this fucking witch. 
<laughs> you, you bitch have caused every bad thing in my life. We have heard about all of those bad things. And now you're taking my son. I am not fucking having this is really the overall like thing he throws out there. Like this is not happening. I, if I got to fucking plug myself into the goddamn matrix one more time to try and save my son from you, then that is a price I am willing to pay. I wasn't expecting that. Honestly, uh, that kind of, you know, when he's like, I spent 35 years running from ever being in the collective again, I got to face the music and you know, I got to, this is my moment to stay. Go back to first contact about, you know, falling back, falling back, falling back. Uh, his idea that fighting the Borg means being flesh and blood and, and shooting Borg in front of him. And what finally the way to defeat them is surrendering your physical form, going back into the collective, uh, re-embracing your role as Locutus and choosing cyberspace a very budget friendly cyberspace where you're in a room full of green wisps that are not ghosts that Beverly is banging <laughs> to talk to your son. So he jacks himself in and I was like, wow, I wasn't expecting that. You know, he has the heart to heart with uh, Jack gives him the big hug, right? Like the final emotional he's connected. He is his father. And he says like, son, this place is blowing up. If you won't leave with me, I'm going to stay with you. You know, this is ruined that that whatever good things you think are here for you, it's all fake. It's a lie. You got to fight it. And then he's like, no, I'm happy here. And, you know, out there sucks. And here I can enact real change. And it's great. And then Picard, uh, you know, goes for the well. If, you know, you're not going to leave, then I'm going to stay with you and we'll, we'll do this together. And that's what finally snaps him out. It's a good heartfelt moment. It's a good realization of Picard as a father figure. That's enough to get Jack out. Uh, he starts pulling all the shit off of him. Gets the cord off uh, Locutus or, you know, off uh, Picard's neck. Worf and Riker show up. And they're like, oh, shit, there's a uh, there's the boss plugged back in. I don't know how to feel about this. So the the last piece of the puzzle that fits so neatly together is that Will's choice to come find the captain is ultimately what saves all of them because he, his emotions to his wife, like, sorry, I'm Zadi, I'll be waiting for you with our with son. With our son, yeah. Which, like, ends his journey, right? Like, his nihilism over his son's death, his inability to, like, comprehend what comes after. He's embracing it to say, yes, I'm believing in it now, and I'll be there waiting for you. But that incredible, intense emotion is something that Troy can pick up on and suddenly making up for all of her poor Viridian three related decisions, Tokyo drifts, the goddamn enterprise D to just sweep right in where they are and pulls them out in the nick of time. Dude, that scene of the enterprise D flying over. Apparently the queen's chamber, by the way, has a big sunroof (laughs) (laughs) and like the lights, the spotlights. Yeah. Uh, My favorite starship moment, I think, prior to this was that episode of Battlestar Galactica where you drop the Galactica into the atmosphere, just blowing vipers out all over the places they go to stamp out new Capricorn. Uh, It's it's the D whipping over spotlights out on the belly. Uh, 
everybody giving the queen the big middle finger as they get beamed up and you can like see the transporter uh, beam flying up into the transporter transceiver dish on the belly, yeah. which again is a thing that's there. And it's like this real like 50s like aliens just tractor beaming people up as it flies away and then the cube blowing up and then the one def- final villainous you know futile no from, from could have gone for Queen. some green flames because you know Borg is green but you know it's this big fireball explosion and the D comes flying out with its shields on fire looking all fucking badass hell yeah and then this last moment the uh, soul station finally got overwhelmed the, the assimilated fleet was about to destroy Earth. And with this final gesture of destruction, the mind control is broken. All of the young officers uh, come to. Seven is relieved that she doesn't have to shoot Jordy's daughter. <laughs> and uh, peace is restored. Uh, and we get actually, we get a lot of emotional hugs, a lot of emotional payoff, a lot of greetings. War falls asleep in a chair. And we get a captain's log from Riker. Last captain's log is, is not from, from I thought for sure we'd get a captain's log from Picard, but they give it to Riker. And he says like, you know, the, 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 we, we are on year one of a new, of a new era now after what we've gone through. Uh, Starfleet's trying to rebuild itself from the damage it did as a consequence of this, we're deprogramming all of the officers that had the bad DNA in them and also using that to root out the last of the changeling infiltrators we hadn't found yet. And then also notes that because of their desire to continue to plumb their depths for information, they didn't kill most of their hostages. And that's when we transition into the first of our epilogues, which is seven of nine and captain Tuvok a welcome return of an actual Captain Tuvok. Was he Captain or Admiral? Captain. And Captain Tuvok is there to ostensibly punish Seven of Nine for being party to uh, the theft of the Titan. But in reality, of course, to reveal that Shaw believed in her the whole time, that he was her Sunadre and always noticed her. And that actually he recommended her to command before even all of this and that her heroics in trying to prevent this catastrophe make her uh, qualified and deserving of the rank of captain, which is conferred upon her by Tuvok, which is the right person to do it, in my opinion. I know Janeway is kind of who everyone was saying, but like Tuvok was actually Seven's friend. And mentor. So, yeah. Like, and, and, you know, another universe potential lover that's true and i i liked that scene a lot because if it's tuvok like i know i know you i know how you're gonna react to this so i'm gonna guide you through what's about to occur like it should be him his uh accusations that uh you know she has a disregard for protocol or maybe with Shaw saying in front, like, you know, there's a disregard for protocol procedure. I'm like, again, trying to like, remember like that, that was, does that also apply to 20 year old? I guess it does. Like she would just do shit without asking for permission. And that's what she, you know, ran afoul of Bolano a lot. They, they promote her and then they're, they, they go through, uh, 
Rafi's thing, which whatever, doesn't matter. They go to Data getting a therapy session from Troy. Uh, Data continually uses everyone's wrong ranks. He calls Jean-Luc captain. He calls Riker commander. It's like what he remembers because he literally has Data's memory from season seven. And then they get to a year later where the D gets put into the fleet museum officially. So there is an indication apparently uh, that the D was in active service for a year after the fleet disaster because they were short on ships. Ooh. Yeah. Uh, Also, apparently there's a pretty good YouTube video. I don't know if it's fan made or what, but it's uh, the recovery of the saucer. Oh, from Viridian three. Yeah. That's something that kind of perked my attention. I was like, I'm gonna have to cycle back around to that once. uh, Once I've seen all this stuff, there's a good speech on the uh, bridge between the remaining officers. They specifically call out, you know, all of this is evidence the past matters, which is, again, massive fan service. And what we've talked about before, which is the desire of the executive producers and the showrunners to distance themselves from the legacy audience and try to create a new audience. And here is Terry Metalis spitting in their face saying, nope, I'm here for everybody. <laughs> And especially the old people, your inclusion and your um, participation in this matters. And I'm here for you. Like, that's basically them looking at the camera and saying, like, yeah, we're talking to you. uh, Long term audience. You know, thank you, basically. Yeah. Um, I think the best line is Riker saying, you know, we would have been different without her, but we wouldn't have been better. You know, and it's like that's their characters talking and that's the actors talking. It's everyone that's ever been involved with Star Trek talking in that moment, saying all of our lives have been better because we've been involved in this. We would have been different people if we hadn't hadn't, and wouldn't have been. It wouldn't have been a better life. They turn off the computer. They say, you know, basically go into power down. Uh, one final comment on Margell, you know, always miss that voice. <laughs> Hopefully with AI coming along, we'll hear it again. Um, we we now get, I think, the two pat part of the ending, which is apparently Jackson Ensign now. <laughs> Jack got turbo sped run through uh, the Starfleet Academy and is now uh, about to go on active duty on a starship. And his mom and dad. You know, we have an Admiral Crusher who's taken over Starfleet Medical again and bless. I love that. And they're taking their son uh, to his first posting and they arrive there and it's the Titan. And Picard's like, oh, yeah, no, it makes sense. You'd be on the Titan. And Jack's like, "Uh, no, it's not the Titan. And as they come up, it's revealed that the USS Titan is no longer. It has been rechristened in honor of its service to saving the whole of the Federation. And like any good Federation saving starship, it needs the right Federation saving starship name. This is the U S enterprise NCC one seven zero one G. So some thoughts on that. Um, 
kind of a slap in the face to the legacy of the Titan that they erase its name and, and discontinue it. Uh, I get why if you're trying to make a new TV show, it's important to have the name Enterprise in there because we saw some of the difficulty that Voyager had to go through because it wasn't an Enterprise on screen. Um, so the F had just been rolled out. Uh, Shelby got gunned down in the captain's chair, but they're do they decommission it? Do they rename it? Was it somehow destroyed? Talus, the the uh, you know, Enterprise F had been in active service for 20 years at that point. Because uh, the E was destroyed not long after Nemesis. Uh, not long after Nemesis. And uh, it was to be decommissioned anyway. It was its last showing was on. on uh, How long could that have been? Because Picard had gone through Nemesis. Again, timelines on Star Trek. <laughs> well, keep in mind the Nemesis came out like 21, 22 years ago. And uh, the idea was right after Nemesis is when he like relinquished command of the Enterprise E. And so it was destroyed not long after. He did his thing for a while. Clearly, there was enough time for him to knock up Beverly. And then Romulus was going to blow up because of the sun. He gave up his posting on Enterprise. To he was in command of a di- He was in a command of a different vessel at that point. Really? Yeah. Uh, there's a whole comic about it, but these fucking matter. comics, dude. Like, yeah. You know, t- tell it to memory bait. I don't give a shit. <laughs> what I do give a shit about is uh, that. They they give you what the the value proposition is for Star Trek Legacy before they end the show. It'll be Seven of Nine, Raffi, and Jack, and they're the ones that are, would be the key characters, along with all the bridge crew you got to know on the Titan, uh, and they're going to go off to in space adventures. Uh, if only we could be disposed of Raffi, of course. That is a, Who a, does she have blackmail on? I don't know. That Michelle Heard has clung to fucking this property for three seasons, like dog shit on a boot made out of cement. Yeah. Maybe it's just like, Hey, it's wild. You know, we got in the production, her contract said she's going to be an integral part, uh, through all, you know, the full run and we can't get rid of her. Let's say maybe they do get the show and that they recognize that she is the worst part. And then she gets like a fucking off screen death or, you know, the transporter fucks up and turns her into the thing or whatever. Or she gets written off, you know, I want to go be with my family instead. But like, she is just miserable in every goddamn scene. Uh, I do like that Jack Crusher basically gets turned into like a decorative ornament in the the Troy seat. Like, here, go put your scant on eye candy. (laughs) I had to be eye candy for fucking four seasons of uh, Voyager. You're going to be eye candy. To the ladies here while I continue. Hey, listen, also the man's got enough can... charm. He literally successfully charms every single female he ran into and across the entire show. So sure. I'll give it to him. Jack, good luck. And last scene that we have is I think well, the second right to way. last scene. Well, yeah, the last scene of proper scene of the episode is the one that I think that it kind of had to end on. You know, they made the decision not to kill anybody off, which I think was something that was a bit odd. 
Uh, I thought for sure Picard would die, but uh, Metallus said He did that, die. He died at the end of season one, actually. Yeah. Picard said Little that known it, fact. He contemplated killing off one or more of the characters, but decided that he did not have the capacity to do so. Like, I love these characters too much to kill any of them. I'm not going to. That was nor, literally what he said. Like, nah, I can't bring myself to do it. Nor do you need to. I mean, you killed right. Data. Right. And that was yeah. Like they could, they knew like I can't kill Data because I've killed him already. The you know like killing Picard seems wrong because again he's sort of died. So do you kill Riker? Do you you know like that would spoil the end of his plot? Like it, it's it, not when you think about it. There's not a lot of good options, so he just didn't take any of them. It's not Game of Thrones, and it doesn't have to be Game of Thrones. And if anything, we proved with the first two seasons that Game of Thrones and Next Gen does not work. And you got to go back to the 90s and you got to tell 90 stories in the 90 stories. The good guys win and everybody lives and the audience is fine with that because that's what they're there for. Like if anything deserves a feel good ending, it is a bunch of, you know, do gooder, lawful, good space guys out there risking it all and doing the right thing at every turn and getting along without any workplace drama. That's the story. You know, that everybody lives is fine. So they're drinking in uh, 10 Ford down in L.A. because you don't got the budget to make the the galaxy class 10 Ford. And uh, Guinan is off screen <laughs> where she belongs <laughs> at this point. It's for now uh, Whoopi Goldberg. And uh, yeah, they what they do is end on a Shakespearean quote from Picard the way that it should. After, of course, Data tries to finish his dirty limb, Rick, he's been trying to finish for 35 years. And why not play some cards while we play the theme music? Right? Like, and shoot, shoot it from above, just like all good things, right? Like, let's end this the way we should have kept it ended. Actually, and, there were a lot of top-down shots to the point where I was almost like, did Frakes direct this? Or is Terry Metalis just like going by the Frakes playbook? I mean, this is just straight. Let's recreate that last shot, right? Like, and they go a long distance. It. I mean, that's a whole title uh, sequence focusing on a poker game as these guys are just palling around. And I let it run, not expecting there to be a uh, a post credit scene, but sure enough, there it was, and it's Jack settling in, uh, and then old Q popping in, saying, "Hey." you're going to shoulder the burden of your father and uh, humanity's still under the microscope. And yeah, he's on trial and now you're the defendant young yeah. mortal fuck season <laughs> two. I didn't die. That's over. Let's go. This is Star Trek legacy. Book it. Yeah. Got John Delance. He's going to do it. Still looking good. Like a, like a snowy Fox. Uh, I feel like the finale was a little like Vox was better than the last generation just because the big reveal of the D is such an emotional high point, but together this makes everything worth having been to, to endure like season one and two being garbage was fine. I got this. Can't take this away from me. It's a standalone product. All you need to know is at some point Picard got transferred into a robot body. Yep, that's literally the only plot point. Uh, it's a you know shame that Shaw dies and Raffi lives, but I'm sure there's politics involved in that. Could this have been one season? You know, yeah, uh, you could have just you, done this as a limited season. No, I mean, off. 
I, I, obviously, yeah, you could have done yeah. that as one season. But if you had three seasons of Picard and you had started with Metallus at the helm and oh. everybody involved, could you have turned this into season one and had two more seasons of other stuff? Could you had could you have expanded the changeling threat into an entire second season and had the first season been uh, a full season of getting the crew back together, more Shaw, more, you know, adventures inside stuff there, and then had season three all been about the Borg threat. I, I, I feel like, yeah, if you had had the opportunity to tell this story, you tell in one season in three, you could have expanded a lot. You could have really made this about Picard being on a special mission and Shaw being having to be the chaperone of a man he hates and like him slowly warming and understanding and Picard pulling in all of his old associates. And like maybe season one is like, you know, just the mystery of the Shrike and him finding his son and like understanding, you know, trying to unravel. Oh, there's a conspiracy within Starfleet. And then season two, you get like, oh, all the material on on the changelings and they've infiltrated and then we get hey, a little then, bit more Rolaren or maybe, yeah, you know, the Rolaren, you could have gotten more callbacks to like, here's some Voyager characters. Here's some DS nine characters. You know, the whole Berman Trek era is coming into this while the TNG crew is the primary movers. And then in the third season, you finally understand it's the Borg was behind it. They launched their plan. There's a running battle. And you realize I got to go back and get the D. That's the only way I can beat these guys because they've got such a technological advantage. I got to go analog to get under them. And yeah, I think that would have been what you could have done with three seasons. I think maybe you could have given each character more. Like, I think everybody got a lot of time in the spotlight. If anything was shaky, it was the recovery of data and just what a it's better on that. What a like this, yeah, like what what a blip it was for something that massive, especially again given what data was in the first season versus the th- I, I, again. I'm not going to hold season three accountable to season one, but like, yeah, silly there. So you know, it's a shame that uh, they didn't have three seasons of quality, but at least there was one season of excellent fan service and again i mean i think if i were to really sit there and quiz my wife that you know there's a lot of stuff that just was not for her and was eye-rolly and rightfully so yeah but to that target demographic like that fan service was all the the they made a world of difference hokey biomechanical dna again rickety bridge but it was suitable connective tissue to draw the other elements together and make the plot work as a whole to create the stakes to the level they had to go to. Um, and then just the, uh, the right amount of member berries, like people mock it, but you know what? Buckets and buckets, but earned, right? Like after you've gone the distance and you're parched and you've seen so much and done so much. You take a big scoop of the member berries and you shovel them down your throat. It's like, oh, it tastes so good. Just a nice use to pay off at the end. Like, here's what here. Let's splooge all over. Here. Here's a TNG yeah. episode. But still, again, treat. it's like it. it's not just like, oh, hey, look, here's uh, my Renosican flute. Oh, look at that. Remember that thing? Like. We need the D. We need an old ship specifically. Rolaren's back and now she's like a badass high, you know, Gestapo security person. 
who's got a lot of shit to resolve with uh, Picard. Hey, here's uh, Shelby looking like a big fucking hypocrite. You know, look where all her ambition got her gunned down in her own seat, you know, at her most yeah. public moment. Like, yeah, the member berries are there, but it's all strong connections. Yeah. yeah, it's in service to the story, and that's important. Bravo, Terry Metalis. You really pulled an impossible trick. If I would have, under no circumstances did I think I would say at the end of reviewing all 10 episodes of Star Trek Picard season three that this was not only the best Star Trek has been since the New Trek era, but this might be the best season of Star Trek since TNG slash DS9 itself. I think this beats all of Enterprise we've watched. I think I can't think of a season of Voyager I like more than this. I think you'd have to go back to some of the best Trek has ever been to compare. And Terry Metalis, he made great Trek with a box of scraps in a cave. (laughs) He did it with no money. He did it by convincing the right people that he was the right man for the job. He knew what to keep. He knew what to ignore. He knew what to focus on. And he fucking succeeded. He exceeded expectations so hard. Uh, it, he he may have changed the whole trajectory of Trek as a franchise. We'll see. But he's given the best chance at life he could. I think that's all I got, man. Yeah, it uh, it was very moving. It was a it was a good watch. The shame is that season one and two were so bad that it made me as averse to watching three as it was that I couldn't be there with people watching real time. Then I got hit with basically all the fucking spoilers, but even going in with all the spoilers, uh, still certainly worth my time, worth your time. If somehow you hadn't watched this thing, which I think I was probably the only person in Star Trek fandom to not have watched it. Um, and it was a good time and, uh, go see it. If you have somehow not watched it, watch it. Thank you for bullying us into doing this. Peter thanks you quietly and we'll see you again later. <laughs>